This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now, this week's episode is a side two. I haven't done one of these for a little while, but I managed to secure a great interview with someone that Cream's Jack Bruce once called the greatest bass player he'd ever heard. I'm talking about virtuoso Jeff Berlin. Jeff has worked with a number of legendary stars in the past, and he's done so again recently for a new album that pays tribute to the great Jack Bruce himself. So I'm looking forward to hearing my chat with Jeff and hearing his stories about Jack and Frank Zappa, Sammy Hagar, Bill Bruford, and many others too. Now also on the show, you'll hear the latest updates on the Artist's Choice playlist that I've been compiling. If you're unaware of what that is, I ask the big-name guests that come on the show each week to nominate a song from their back catalogue to go onto a playlist which I've put together. We've got some great songs on there already, and I've got six of the latest nominating their songs for the list later on in the programme. And I've also got the top fives as well, and we're going to find out some of your thoughts on last week's top five songs from The Who. So I've got a packed show for you as always. But let's go back and start with Jeff Berlin then. As I said, he's a virtuoso bass player, one of the most innovative electric bassists of the last 40 years. He's worked across the jazz and rock fields and was part of legendary drummer Bill Bruford's self-titled band Bruford for a number of years. Bill Bruford, of course, was a founder member of Yes and played with King Crimson, Genesis, UK and many other acts as well. Now, Jeff has released a brand new album in tribute to another legendary bass player, Jack Bruce, most notably remembered for his work in Cream alongside Eric Clapton and Ginger Baker, of course. Now, Jeff and Jack became friends, and so with Jeff's passing, he wanted to record his songs in remembrance of how Jack helped him to find his own musical path. The album, called Jack's Songs, is not just your regular cover album, though. Jeff has reworked and reimagined Jack's music from Cream right through to his later work and solo material in a really unique way, with an incredible lineup of guest musicians contributing to, and I mean some big, big names. Sammy Hagar, Rush's Alex Lifeson and Geddy Lee, Greg Bissonette, who's worked with David Lee Roth and ELO and Joe Satriani, Bill Sheehan, who played with UFO and Mr Big, Santana lead singer Alex Leggettwood, and many, many others as well. It's an endless list. Some fantastic people have joined him for this record. So in this interview with Jeff, you're going to hear him talk about just how much of an influence that Jack Bruce was to him, his friendship with him, why he chose certain songs for this album, and working with those incredible names to put it together. Plus some stories from his career too, about Bill Bruford and Frank Zappa as well. So please enjoy this chat with Jeff Berlin. Before we talk about the album then, Jeff, um, I want to talk about your friendship with Jack. I mean, he was a personal friend of yours, and Jack famously once said that you were the best bass player he'd ever heard. Now, that's some compliment, isn't it? Uh, Beyond belief, um, I became the bass player that I became because of Jack Bruce. When I was 14, um, I heard the... uh, Well, I've heard... uh, I loved uh, the Israeli years, but Wheels of Fire, especially Crossroads and and Spoonful, um, truly changed me. 
I mean, I never heard a bass player play like that. So when the person that put you on your road, so to speak, the very the singular voice on an instrument that you wanted to emulate to some degree made a co comment like that to me, it's it's it left me aghast be, uh, because I never expected such a thought. So from him absolutely and um, you said you were quite young when you heard that i mean what was what was it like the first time you listened to that music then i mean did it did it strike you did it grab you instantly yeah it um i believe that people are often uh, often come into the world with with a predisposition towards something um you know an author like ernest hemingway comes to mind he had to write or an athlete like muhammad ali comes to mind um Certain people have a certain natural predisposition, the acting talent of Marlon Brando. Um, I am not in their league. I'll never say I'm in their league, but I am of their ilk. I came into life with a musical propensity. I always wanted to play, and I always wanted to learn how to play better. So when I heard Jack Bruce playing on in Cream and the live uh, records, I was instantly connected to something that I believe was my natural predisposition, which was to take a bass and do something interesting, different with it, but do it for me, not for people. I always felt that the greatest players played for themselves, but always were conscious that there is an audience out there and wanted to invite them in. Nobody plays in, in, in a bubble. I'm here. I'm not paying attention. We all know, you know, we're conscious beings. We all know that there's people out there that came to hear us ply our art. And so in that thing, Jack, I'm certain of it. I'm certain Ginger too, Eric at the time, did their thing for themselves, only for themselves. But so uh, organically brilliant was their thing that it impacted with everybody that heard them. And I was no different. So, yeah. When I first heard Jack, I was a changed, changed guy. I was 14. <laughs> I, I never was the same. Incredible stuff. And then uh, if we just talk about your friendship as well, I mean, when did you get to meet him? And, and what was that like, meeting your idol? And what, how did the friendship blossom from there? Well, um, I came to London in the 70s and knew John Heisman, the great drummer, one of the greatest that England produced, in my, in my view. And I knew he played with Jack. So I said, listen, if he's in town, could you introduce us? And John did exactly that. He invited Jack to come down. Jack was very forthcoming and very nice. Funny guy, I got to say. Everyone that knew him, I'm sure, would report that. Uh, the only experience I, that I can recall, I've met a lot of name people over the years. Mm -hmm. Oh, hi, uh, you know, nice to meet you, Oscar winner. You know, I love your movies. Uh, you know, hello there, uh, uh, Louis Pasteur, uh, doctor, you know, whatever. You know, I met marvelous people uh, achieving great things in in their careers but when i met jack i was a tremble because he singularly put me on my path the impact of that was too great for words so when i met him i i had to control myself and you know not leap over a table tackle him to the floor and, and ask him what he was thinking about when he played the bass line on i'm so glad you know i, I i'm being funny here but but yeah he he truly truly uh shook me up and he always did you want to hear a funny story about him absolutely yeah yeah i was playing at uh the music mess in frankfurt one year and jack walked in and put himself in the front seat and drilled me with his eyes because he knew how nervous i got around him. 
So I'm playing and making mistakes because it's Jack. And every time I made a mistake, Jack would go, you know, he made faces and laughed at me and provoked me to just, you know, <laughs> he's the only guy that ever did that. Uh, it's a funny, odd, peculiar effect he had on me. But I, he was a fun man, funny guy, fun, fun guy to be around. I played guitar for him once in a, in a show at, 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 at MI once. And also, I think we did a gig. He, Gary, uh, Bruce, Gary, and I, and I played guitar because I learned his music wow. and I could pick up a guitar. And I was, that's something that comes from long practice. And I never played a guitar, but I could play the guitar because the music wasn't uh, demanding to where I couldn't figure out the chords. So I was actually Jack Bruce guitarist for a gig or two. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. And so that brings us nicely to, to your new album, Jack Songs. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not just a cover album. It, it's your interpretations. It's your stylings of his music as well, isn't it? So let's start with how you came to choosing the songs on the record, how you came to putting the, the, the tracks together, because they're not just straight songs as well, some of them, are they? No, I, I personally decided to avoid uh, covering songs. I felt that many people have covered Cream songs and Jack songs and have done a spectacular job on it. So nobody wants to hear a record of me going dun, 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 <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You know, um, my particular musical pathology, as it were, is that I have a kind of a creative sense. I can hear something and might imagine it in a, in a different way. Just It's just an organic thing with me. I'm sure other people have it. So the biggest uh, impact uh, that Jack had on me was, was, were, of course, the Cream records, especially, especially uh, uh, Wheels of Fire, the live tracks, um, Goodbye, and because uh, of I'm So Glad, especially, and Live Cream, especially Sweet Wine. So over the time, these are the particular core music that impacted with me. Now, how did I choose these songs? Um, Jack had a very uh, rich and productive post-Cream period of his life. Cream was two years. Yeah. Jack was a musician for 50 years, you know. So I was uh, deeply involved in listening to uh, Songs for a Tailor, um, Harmony Row, and uh, uh, Out of the Storm. And then I would listen to other records, and you know, because I'm a Jack fan. And uh, But those three records prince or those three periods is cream and and what and those two those three records basically were the source of the music that i uh, decided to record and i love that i've had a sneak listen to it as well and i just love that from the very first second that ominous note of that very first track creamed it's just fantastic well th there was a, a, a an interesting challenge for me uh Jack's uh, repertoire with Cream was pretty deep. I mean, he wrote a lot of the music. So how do I pick a song? My idea was to pick most of the songs <laughs> yeah. and make them into a kind of a melange uh, uh, where <laughs> I play. If you remember, like the beginning, I'm trying to think. I think it's the beginning of I Feel Free. And then I went into the bass line of Sunshine while uh, Ron Hamby, our singer, was singing the melody to Politician. Then we went into White Room and then went into, you know, it was a continuous arranging uh, journey. So anybody into Cream, anybody into Cream, anybody into Jack will be listening to something that I know they'll never have heard before. Yes. And that's what made, if I may, I mean, I, I'm a little, I'm on a, you know, touchy area when I went, when one touts their own art. 
There's nothing like it. And it's rocking. It's rocking as hard as, as Metallica. Uh, and then proceeds to evolve as the other songs continue. But I wanted to make something that no Cream and no Jack Bruce fan ever heard so that they could hear it fresh and new uh, uh, with new ears and remember the old music with love. But uh, I mean, that's sort of how I went about it. And you absolutely nailed that. And some of the, the other names as well. I mean, how did you go about recruiting these incredible players to join you on this record? And we're talking about the likes of Sammy Hagar and Alex Lifeson and, and Geddy Lee and Greg Bissonette and Bumblefoot and Tony Levin from King Crimson. I mean, the names just go on and on and on. I mean, how did you go about recruiting these people for this, this record, first of all? Well, um, all of us in music, we all know each other. So there's a camaraderie, a friendship, a fan base. I'm a fan of, of the names you mentioned. And also, in, in a fortunate sense, we're all sort of around the same age. So we all were raised with uh, our love and appreciation of the Cream uh, repertoire and Jack's subsequent repertoire when we were kids. I mean, Sammy's older than I am. I think he's in his 70s. I'm still in late 60s. Getty and Alex are and I are the same age. And we were raised with the exact same uh, music that we listened to. That affected us as well. So it was easy to contact my friends, my colleagues, people I didn't know and admired, um, and say, look, I'm doing this record uh, uh, representing uh, my great hero, your, surely your great hero, Jack Bruce, would you play? And uh, most people said yes right away. Um, some I went to some other guys, and I don't. I think it, they're right that they have to stick by their credo. Uh, they said, "Well, I'm busy doing my thing," but I always had the idea that when a musician is of a superstar status, but musical in their capacity, mm -hmm. and have achieved so much that the only thing left to do that might be interesting is being a sideman on an interesting project. That's how I see it. So I went to a few guys who uh, polite. I, I gotta say no but it seemed kind of a shame since the record is musically because i this is where i walk that delicate line again i won't produce a bad record i won't it won't happen it's sort of the thing that i would say anybody anybody that achieves a certain area of expertise you're never going to slip back in, into some sort of mediocrity it just isn't going to happen you're never going to become a poor podcast uh host can't happen You've already experienced <laughs> things to where it's just never going to happen. So in that my musical uh, expectancy for me has to be like way up yeah. there. I'm surprised that other great musicians might not have wanted to share in it. But I also found a great group of people that did and, and they made the record as far as I'm concerned. And I understand this modern world of everybody working remotely. Did you get to go into the studio with any of these guys or was it literally them recording certain bits remotely or anything like that? It was the modern world of remote recording. <laughs> it's an interesting point you raise because how do you take 40, 50 musicians mm -hmm. and assemble them so that you can come up with an organic sounding record? Yeah. That was the challenge. It was really in, in mostly in the hands of John McCracken, who is the producer of it. And quite honest, I mean, I, I might suggest we do this, we do that. But this record is singularly a production success of John McCracken's in that he managed to sow at my behest, but he sowed all of these elements to where it cohesed it flowed into a into a seamless uh, 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 song, and each song 
turned out, if I may again, so <laughs> remarkable that each song is an epic. It's epic one, epic two, epic three, epic eight, epic yeah. nine, epic ten. And uh, I got to say, I did. I knew it would be good. I had my confidence, but I didn't know it would turn out this way. I, I'm beyond words. This is an eternal album, and it gives me a great platform for my future work. I, I, and uh, getting guys like Sammy, I ought to add, Sammy Hagar, I met him once on a gig back in 1977 for three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Hi, I'm Jeff. He wasn't even in Van Halen yet. I'm Jeff. I saw you, you know, uh, saw you sing. I thought and always thought he was a brilliant singer in his genre. The guy could sing pitch. That kills me. There was little, I would say, melisma. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, Sammy might enter into the 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 uh, aspect of rock in that power sense, that screaming sense. But he always sang a melody, or he was always core in his singing. That's why I invited him to, to sing on L'Angelo Mysterioso. I had to have a guy like Sammy. And can you believe the great luck and the generosity of having this guy? Fantastic stuff. And, and you talk about these these names, these these legendary characters that you've had involved. I mean, did any of the stuff that they came up with, did, did anything surprise you? I know it's difficult to surprise somebody like you, and it's hard to be surprised by legends and you know their back catalogue and you know the virtuoso and what they've produced in the past. But the, the things that they came up with for your record, were you surprised by any of that? Not surprised, but expected. I, I, I was so confident that there was no way that these guys were going to su submit something Un, untowardly, un, uh, you know, poor a blank. Yeah, yeah. So um, my sense of harmony is pretty, pretty extense, extensive. Um, I'm not the genius that a Jacob Collier is, who blows me away every time the guy gets near a keyboard. But that's that guy is DNA fueled brilliance. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because it's hard to be amazed anymore by what I hear in contemporary music. Rather. I'm, de I'm appreciative of it, appreciative of it. Eric Johnson did, and Ron Bumblefoot, Thal, both did, and Scott Henderson did, and Alex did. Brilliant, and Bill Frizzell did. I I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anybody. Brilliant <laughs> uh, con contributions in the manner that they can do. I, I wasn't sort of like surprised. I, I knew they would be great, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. You'd be forgiven for forgetting if you missed anybody off that list because there is an incredible list of, of recording oh, artists God. involved. Oh, I this. did. I did. Johnny Highland. There Johnny Highland <laughs> played on uh, Train Time Time. And the guy tore it up. He might be the greatest <laughs> virtuoso on the record. <laughs> and I believe Mark King's involved as well. I used to call him the thumb of the 80s. He was He's fantastic with level 42. <laughs> I, I, I was uh, joking. I didn't tell him this, but I always wanted to do a song and write it and dedicated to him and call it something <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant now what's the what's the best way for people to get hold of this record then jeff well um i'm not a fan of spotify and right now it isn't on Bandcamp or some of the other things i'm offering it solely and specifically through jeffberlinmusicgroup.com i at the beginning uh, started a, a campaign with a company called pledge music pledge music took contributions from people who yep. then I would get to help finance the record. And then when the record come out, they would get what they uh, pledged. Uh, Pledge Music went bankrupt and took everything with them. And 
unfortunately, the music, the people that, that contributed couldn't get the music. So I ended up financing the entire record top to bottom by myself. And I'm not complaining about it, but I need I needed to take this situation and provide a product because I do believe art is a product to um, to be of such a standard that people might not feel bad about going to buy a download or a CD. And so I only offer through JeffBerlinMusicGroup.com at this point. And I recommend people heartily get onto your website and get hold of a copy because it is absolutely fantastic. And since we've got you on, we're a classic rock podcast. We'd like to hear about some of these classic rock names that you've worked with in the past. And um, if we don't mind talking about a couple of them, I mean, Bill Bruford, we'll start with him. You worked with him for many years and he's a legendary drummer and musician. And talk to us about Bill and how you guys work together and his musicianship and things like that. Bill is uh, a remarkable a visionary in music i should maybe lean toward was because he retired from it um so i hope i'm not out of turn by saying this but bill had this interesting ability to have you know technique counts with a lot of people bill had what you might call a good technique not a great technique not a cobham technique not not a dennis chambers technique but you know what bill had that almost no other drummer had is he had a vision for his instrument and therefore the sounds he produced, the rhythms he produced, uh, were utterly and completely unique to Bill Bruford, and that makes him an original. So we worked wonderfully together. But, you know, at the time, this is pre-therapy, therapy, Jeff Berlin. So people put up with a, a difficult uh, guy that I was because I, had, I grew up in a uh, very dysfunctional background and uh, grew up affected by that. So people tolerated whatever nonsense was a part of my being because I could play. But part of the playing that I eventually changed was is at the time I played in order to be ferocious at it so that everybody would love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. Love me. And um, I, I only share the therapy reality because some people may have things in them. And, and I'm a good example that if one works at this stuff, you can heal and change. So. I only mention that because with Bill, I assume he put up with a, that kind of guy, and a lot of people did. But in regards to Bill, he was an original. He was uh, also a fine composer, remarkable composer. And he actually opened up doors for me that were not open, and he taught me how to regard both live playing and studio recording. So I learned a huge amount, and I'm forever grateful to the influence and uh, relationship with Bill. Fantastic. And you mentioned the word original and, and someone else to touch on is Frank Zappa. I mean, he's he's as original as they come. And you worked with Frank as well, didn't you? A little bit. Uh, I asked for more money and was promptly fired. Um, <laughs> I had uh, a lot of the charts of Frank. It, it was new music to me. So Steve, I used to teach it to me. This is, again, before he was uh, the famous icon of guitar that, that Steve is. So he would come over and say, well, this is how you subdivide this stuff. So being with Frank was was fascinating. Um, and then I had the bad taste to uh, ask for more money. In, and the way that I asked him uh, uh, was not uh, did not go down well, and I was fired. And uh, I understand, and I accept. I actually accept all the stories of my past. It was part of the, uh, the involvement of, of my life at that time. So, yeah, but I love being with him. We hung, we played. It was fun. It was a great guy. And what was it like to, to, to play with Frank then? Because obviously he was so different, wasn't he? 
he was so different. I, you know, it wasn't my style, but I was a sideman. So um, I used to look at gigs as learning opportunities. I don't anymore. I mean, if I learn something, I think it's great, but that's not my philosophy uh, for an interest. And for that reason, I'm very dedicated to just rock in its own simple and presented fashion, some of which you can hear in the bass lines on Jack. Um, um, so I learned with Frank uh, quickly and greatly, um, but my uh, focus was music in the performance of it. And I found out by being around Frank that I really wasn't into that kind of subdivided seven against whatever and, and 11 phrases and the breaking up and, and, and music. It's utterly original and utterly special to Frank Zappa, but I confess that it didn't please my musical heart. <laughs> That's fair enough. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jeff. And uh, again, I recommend everyone to get onto your website and look up Jack's songs. It is a fantastic record with some brilliant songs, brilliant interpretations of the, the great man's work. Well, I'm talking to a Scottish podcaster right in the heartland of Jack Bruce country. You, you know, one of the <laughs> tunes on the record is called Fuimus, which is, uh, I believe, a Scottish language reference to the Bruce clan. I found it online. And uh, so I included a little bit of Scottish terminology uh, as the last tune on the, on the Jack songs. And did you know Pete Brown wrote the lyrics? Oh, there you go. Even more reason to get the record. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Jeff. Uh, best of luck with the record and we'll catch you again soon. Thank you, sir. It's a real pleasure. And a big thanks to Jeff Berlin there. Get on his website and check out the new album. It really is unlike anything you'll have heard before. The way the songs have been constructed, the guests involved, give it a shot. JeffBerlinMusicGroup.com for all of the details. Right, it's the time of the show for the top fives. And as we're talking Jack Bruce, I thought I'd run down my favourite five songs from Cream. But before I do that, let's take a look at your reactions to my list of the Who songs from last week's episode. Athol Manson went with four of my top five tracks, who were almost on agreement, but he switched out my generation for The Real Me. Tenacity PR, they had some really interesting songs in there, including Join Together, Slip Kid, and Blue, Red, and Grey. Bill McHugh included The Punk and The Godfather, Squeezebox, and The Kids Are Alright in his list. Pat Power also backed up Bill with The Kids Are Alright, but his number one song was The Seeker. And finally, Mick Howarth had a couple of others not previously named, including Behind Blue Eyes and Substitute. All cracking songs and shows just how hard it is to get it into just five, really. Speaking of which, this week's band, Cream, is equally as difficult, but as always, I've given it a shot. Now remember, this is my personal choice, highly subjective, not a definitive list, so I'd love to hear your favourites too, so just let me know. But here we are, the top five Cream songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a song based on the legendary bluesman Robert Johnson's song from 1936. I actually got big time into Robert Johnson about 15, 20 years ago. Sweet Home Chicago was worn out on my CD player. Now anyway, back to matters at hand. My number five is Eric Clapton's interpretation. The live version Cream Do is blistering and much valued on my list. At five is Crossroads. At four is a great mix of blues, rock and psychedelia, a non-album track which peaked at number 11 in the UK charts back in 1966. At number four is I Feel Free. Feel when I dance with you. 
My number three is a ballsy, hard-rocking number from the Disraeli Gears album. It was actually a B-side to my number two song, but was always a favourite track of mine. At number three is SWLABR. But the rainbow has a beard My number two track is Cream's biggest hit in the US, peaking at number five on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1968. It's a legendary track included on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's list of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Also from the Disraeli Gears album, at number two, The Sunshine of Your Life. To be where I'm going In the sunshine of your life And my number one is from the album Wheels of Fire, another big hit in the US, peaking at number six. Its irresistible rolling rhythm always grabs me, and Clapton liked it enough to open his Live Aid set with this song too. My personal favourite Cream song and number one on my list is White Room. In the white room with black curtains in the station So there you go, my favourite five songs from Cream. As always, I'd love to hear where you agree or disagree with me. Email me, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, or you can find the post on social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know the deal. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on those sites and give the show a like or a follow. Right, last but certainly not least on this week's side two, we're going to hear from some of my recent guests and their own submissions for the Artist Choice playlist I've been compiling. As a reminder, I ask my guests to nominate a song from their own back catalogue of songs and they can't include anything from their most recent recordings. That's the caveat. And give me a reason why they've selected that specific song. So let's go back to episode 63 from May then and hear from a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, John Steele. John was, of course, part of the legendary 60s group The Animals. So many big hits to choose from, so let's find out which one he selected. Um, I put a spell on you. We, uh, we nicked that off um, Screamer Jay Hawkins and did a, did a good version of it and um, it, it's, it sort of became a kind of underground hit. It, never, it was never a chart record, it was never a single or anything like that. But it's, um, it's got a real clunky sort of feel to it, a sort of you know, unusual arrangement. Yeah, I like that. So the Animals version of I Put a Spell on You is on the list. Check out the full interview with John where he tells the remarkable stories of his time from the 60s and, of course, about House of the Rising Sun, the incredible reception the band got over in the US and so much more. Episode 63 for that. Next up, we're going to hear from Rory Gallagher's longtime bass player, Jerry McAvoy. Jerry played bass on every single one of Rory's studio albums. So let's see what song Jerry's picked. Laundromat. From the Rory's first album, first the solo album, a because of the bass mistake being listened to, <laughs> and I think it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic performance from from the band at that stage, you know, and it's a fantastic song. A great song choice and funny reason too. Again, check out episode 66 for the full interview with Jerry to hear him tell some great stories of his many years working with one of blues' greatest guitarists, Rory Gallagher. 
And next up, we're going to hear from a wild man of rock, one of my favorite interviews today. I'm talking about Fee Waybill from The Tubes. There's talk about nudity and all the crazy stuff the band got up to in the full interview. You should definitely, definitely check that out. But let's find out which song Fee puts forward for our playlist. I guess it would have to be Talk to You Later. I guess it would have to be Talk to You Later. Talk to You Later, I, you know, I wrote with Steve Lukather and Foster, and uh, it was... Uh, it was a it was like a last minute thing. We we uh, almost we were almost done with completion backward principle and we had the ballad and the rec we already knew the record company wanted to release the ballad first, don't want to wait anymore. And so we knew we were in good stead with that. And uh uh and Foz, you know, he goes, you know, we don't really have a like an AOR rock track. And and he said, let's try to write one, let's get together with luke he goes and that's kind of when i met that was the first time i met steve lukather uh -huh. and he said i got this guy who's like a session player and and you know in this band called toto and i went yeah yeah i've heard of them and and so we met at this studio early one morning and we pumped out talk to you later in like an hour i mean luke is incredible he he started the lick first thing he did sat down and went Okay, that's it. Go. And so it was amazing. And we wrote the whole song in like two hours and we called up Prairie. We went, come on down. We want to put on some drums. And we got put on, and I sang all the vocals. He played the bass. He played everything. And uh, uh, it was it was a unique experience, really was. And uh, uh, so I guess that would have to be the song. That would have to be the song. Great song choice from Fee Waybill there. Now, our next song is going to come from Squeeze member Chris Difford. Let's see what he's picked. Um, well, Letting Go from an album called Play um, is one of my favourite all-time Squeeze songs because the chord structure is so imaginative and so emotive. Um, and I'm so proud of the song, lyrically and musically. It's not really one that you would normally hear at all on the radio or anywhere but it's just one that i love Always nice when they go for something that's not an obvious track. When you think of Squeeze and all their hits, Up the Junction, Cool for Cats, Pulling Muscle from Michelle, many others as well, you had plenty to choose from. And you can hear the full interview with Chris on episode 68. A couple more left to hear from, and we're going to get next uh, another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, in fact. We'll go with that one. From Buffalo Springfield, where he played alongside Stephen Stills and Neil Young. I'm talking about Richie Fure. He was a guest on episode 65, so let's see what's his choice. Well, if, if I have to chart, um, you know, a, a, a song that probably people were familiar with, it would probably be Poco's A Good Feeling to Know. And um, it, it was just a, a real special song for Poco. We, uh, you know, we at one time had thought that that was going to be the song that was going to launch us into uh, another um, area of going out and playing music and all. But uh, it, it didn't happen, but it still became a fan favorite. 
you know, uh, the, I think anyone and everyone that's associated with Poco, you know, certainly knows that, that song. And so that's why I would put that one out there. <laughs> and it's a good Richie Fury there, going with one from his Poco days with a good feeling to know. And last but not least for this week's show, we're going to hear from UK AOR favourites FM and the drummer Pete Jupp. I caught up with him on episode 64 and this is what he chose. I'm going to go into Since I Come Back. I'm not going to go right back. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say off of Metropolis, Unbreakable. Unbreakable. And why have you chosen that one then? Because um, my mate Adrian likes it. <laughs> <laughs> and, he'll, and he'll appreciate He's always, oh, why don't you play that song? Why don't you play that song? It's brilliant, you know. So I'll do it for him, my mate Adrian. <laughs> I love it. I've had Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Grammy Award winners, all these sorts of people on giving me these elaborate tales why they've picked a song. And you've gone for one that Adrian likes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I speak the truth. So, you That's know. as good a reason as no, any. I, I, like, I, like, I do like the song as well. So there we go. Brilliant. You know. it, it was yeah it's 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 off the off the comeback album should we call it you know so <laughs> i can make something else up if you want no you know, no but, not uh, at all i like, I like the honesty right. that's, yeah. that's brilliant thank you <laughs> <laughs> And Pete's selection of Unbreakable is the last addition for now to our playlist, Artist's Choice. You can find this playlist and see what all the songs are that have been chosen by all the fantastic guests over the years on Vintage Rock Pod on Spotify. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod Artist's Choice and you'll find it on there. And if you haven't already done so, please do check out Vintage Rock Pod on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, that kind of thing. Click like or comment or follow whatever it is on each of those things and you can see the posts. Make sure you don't miss any. Like and comment because you do stop seeing them on your feed if you don't interact, but that's the best way to do it. Just a a little like every now and again. The algorithms stop showing you things if you don't interact with them. So there you go. And check out some of the other podcasts on the Pantheon Network as well, of which Vintage Rock Pod is a proud member. There's some fantastic music shows on there. Loads of them as well. So any genre of music you'd like, you will be able to find it on Pantheon Podcasts. Anyway, until episode 70 then, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. 